Welcome to episode 52 of Expanding Beyond. How are you doing, Monica? Have you recovered from uh, Ruby Day? From more holidays? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, yes. I've recovered. I, well, recovered, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a harsh word because... So on one side, it's fun because it's my... I got used to the place and the people, so... It goes without thinking. There's a baby screaming outside for those who can hear it. But also it's like it's just one day and it was so exciting being there that I really didn't feel like it was tough in any way. So uh, nice. Yes, I recovered, unfortunately. Let's put it this way. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Yeah, um, I mean, summer is here in Germany, finally. Uh Uh-oh. And... That's nice. You can go swimming. You can do stuff. And yes. school is, well, there isn't much happening. It's the last month of stuff and no one really does anything anymore. So that's <laughs> also nice. I've been enjoying the the weather so much. It's been like, what, two months now? And it feels like proper summer and I'm over the moon with it. Yes. Finally. Yeah. Not a very German summer though with all the dry weather, right? That's why <laughs> like oh, <laughs> it's very Italian or Greek yes. this summer up to now. Yes, yes. Even in somewhat to, in the temperature. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yes. Today is a little bit chillier, but then the sun started shining again, so bam. All right. So maybe we actually start with Yes, Ruby let's Day, start. Right? Let's start. So should I start with the Ruby Day? Yeah, sounds Since good. Since we started with that. Okay. So some of you might know at this point that uh, I've been hosting conferences for quite some time. The one that I've been hosting the longest uh, has been the Italian Ruby Day. I was trying to remember when was the first one. I think it was like 2017, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been a while. The last two, so 2021, we didn't do it because we weren't sure, uh, sorry, the 2022. We didn't do it because we weren't sure, it's too late, it's too early, blah, blah, blah. So for organizing something in person was too complicated. But 2020 and 2021, we did it over uh, over streaming and it actually went quite well uh, for, you know, like what a, an online conference, a streaming conference could be. The um, For me, the highlight of this round was that it was... Of course, nice to uh, meet again with all the people and uh, like the Italian Ruby community is not gigantic. So there's more or less always the same faces. There mm-hmm. were quite a few new additions uh, to the teams. I'm starting to see more women. That's also very nice, mm, that's uh, nice. to see. Yeah, that it's expanding. The thing, one of the things that I appreciated was the feedback we got because so you have to to know that GROSP, that's the association that organizes the conference, really, really tries to be fair and create conferences that are diverse in terms of like topics and presence and that have international perspective too. Um, so it's, yes, it's the Italian Ruby Day, but it has also a little bit of flavor coming from uh, from other countries. Everybody, like all the people that gave me personally feedback were telling me that they were really enjoying the fact that it was this mixture of 
local personalities, local heroes of the Ruby community. But also there was a wide variety of uh, people coming from bigger companies, smaller companies, uh, from abroad, uh, speaking of different areas of what our work is. So this means that not only the association, but also me and the other two guys, um, Luca Guidi and um, I wanted to say to Alberto Vena, uh, that do the talk selection, we managed to get to the feeling that we wanted. So nice. there's a lot going on, you know, uh, so it's, uh, it's good. It was it was very satisfying. So uh, the theme was that, you know, like, especially with age, you realize how complex the developer work is and how it's not only about the code. So, mm -hmm. yes, there were plenty of topics on um, Ruby. There was a topic on TypeScript and people enjoyed it. If you can believe that, uh, <laughs> it was a good talk. It was a very good talk. <laughs> um, uh, but there were also talks around more um, managerial vibes, let's say. Uh, there was this um, this one talk that I really enjoyed that was about how can you make use of the one-on-ones to uh, get to a better relationship with your boss. So why it's important for you as an engineer to understand how to really wield that that tool. Or uh, the, the third theme was what's ahead. And so we had in the keynote, Paolo Perrotta that wrote the metaprogramming in Ruby book with a, this was a talk that was never given before that was about large language models and how they work. Like the, you know, like just the building blocks, not really like mm -hmm. he wasn't coding or anything, but he was explaining like he does in metaprogramming Ruby, the foundational blocks, like the ideas behind it. And everybody was like, ah, that's how, that's nice. Yeah, great <laughs> um, book. Red book. Yeah. Yes, it was uh, for me. It was much more than the pickaxe. Was the book that got me to really understand how Ruby works, and well, actually, to really fell in fall in love with the language. Like, yes, mm. I liked Ruby before, but then I was like, haha, that's the design behind it. That's smart. I like that. So uh, it's a it's a great book. Yeah, some years ago, I sold my. First edition pickaxe book. I think I should have kept it because I, I sort of bought it when it came out, right? That was roughly at a time when I discovered yeah. Ruby. But yeah. I mean, the first edition of the pickaxe? Yeah, it was falling apart a bit. And I also yeah. sold the pro pragmatic programmer. I think I need to Ooh. buy the, uh, the new edition. The new edition someday. <laughs> we recently, just, just I think yesterday, we at, at, in the team, we talked about how you don't uh, use external IDs as primary keys in your database. This was sort of the, uh, no, the big thing I was from from the from the pragmatic program, and that's sort of the biggest one I remember still. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's a good point. You know, sometimes it's good to go back to the basics. <laughs> yeah. So that's for me. Uh, it was nice to see the the community back together again. Oh, one per more personal comment. So we had quite two or three very big names. Like we had, uh, we had Paolo, of course, because he was giving the keynote. We had Boje Darbatsov uh, speaking about the philosophy of Ruby. And then we had uh, Julius uh, do, giving this talk on, on TypeScript and uh, sorry, not on TypeScript, but on uh, how to use Ruby in a, in a functional way. 
Mm-hmm. What I love about going to these conferences is that you really feel like these are regular people. Like these are big names in the community and this and that, but these are literally regular people. One of the best, what's the what's the English for it? Uh, let's say episodes that Bojidar shared was that there was a project that he was leading and he went to the CEO and he was like, man, I need 80 developers. I need this and I did that. It's going to be a 10 million project, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be done. We need this. And he kind of like said that it would take a few months. And it's been, I think he said three years and it's still ongoing. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. I see. <laughs> Even this guy, he is human. <laughs> yeah. This job is difficult. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of the, the advantage of those smaller conferences, right? Yes. Because it's just much more intimate than absolutely, a absolutely. And really most of the speakers, this is something that I always say when, when I uh, host a conference, most of the speakers are actually quite happy if you approach them. Because guess what? Like they're just regular dudes and gals just like us. Like there's no, there's not that much to be intimidated. I mean, I can see why someone might be intimidated by approaching, I don't know, like people like Bill Gates or Martin Fowler or Kent Beck. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but on average, speakers at a conference are quite happy with people approaching them and and talking and chatting and getting feedback and uh, sharing stories. So it's uh, do that, do that. They're going to be happy. And my personal point of pride was that, so Julia, if you're listening, I didn't forget about you. I just don't want to humble brag. She knows what I'm talking about. Um, but my personal point of pride was that at the end of the conference, I shared the fact that there is a Slack community for the Italian Ruby community and that they should join. And actually we have five or f- six more people uh, <laughs> that for a Slack with 20 people registered. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like 20, maybe it's a bit unfair, but you know. <laughs> so that's my recollection of the Italian Ruby Day. Nice. Yes. You should have come. I should have come. Yeah. <laughs> Next year. Next year. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, on my side, so as a bit of context, so my team, um, we work on the sort of monolithic application that the company has been building for many years now. And there's like at least one team that works a lot also in that application and one more team that sometimes does work there. But it sort of seems to fall on us to it's sort of always if someone talks about this application it's always our team that is in theory everyone thinks they're responsible even though they are not officially we are not responsible for the whole thing and we try to do a few things like we try to use the shopify packwork and to split it apart a bit within the application and sort of looking into cleaning up certain uh, stylistic uses we have but it's sort of at least my feeling was always that this is, it's a bit falling short because it's just in our team, right? We're doing this in our team and it's, we might clean up the code we have, but we're not sort of bringing it to the outside. And recently we have started sort of in one of the retros I mentioned, take, shouldn't we just take the lead here a bit uh, to avoid yeah. everyone reinventing the wheel again? And maybe we can come up, spend some of our time in 
coming up with some reasonable approaches to do this. Hey, this is the way you connect to the database, right? Because now we have at least three different styles of how to talk to the database. Yes. And maybe sort of low bar would be to not uh, reinvent the fourth way, but maybe we can get down to one or two ways of doing it. Yeah. And then sort of, I mean, it is the, for the other teams, it's not their fault. If they don't work all the time in the project, they just look at it and they do what it's easiest for them. And we sort of, I think, have a bit more of an overview of how, what is all there and mm. what to do about it. So that we at least, I don't know, stop the bleeding to make sure that it's not getting worse. And then maybe document certain things and say, hey, we as a team, we would suggest we do this. And then we, as as the department or as the teams working on it, we discuss this together and then sort of agree on, yes, I don't know, we use Active Record. Yeah, yes, we use this homegrown thing or maybe use ROM or whatever, but to not at, at least not invent another way to sort of have certain things we stick to because that's sort of the downfall of this application and maybe of other many applications out there too, that it sort of is inconsistent and everyone has good intentions, but then they never can follow through. And how did the team react to your proposal? I think pretty positively sort of... I mean, we didn't do that much yet, right? So we have stories mm. now in our backlog where it says, hey, please look into this part of the application, document what we currently have, and then we can have this uh, ADR or TDR type thing. We can discuss it in the team and then we bring it to the rest. So we haven't gotten further than having an agreement that we want to do this, but we haven't done the work okay. yet. But at least... It's sort of now it is not just my pet peeve, but there's stories. Everyone agreed to the stories and then hopefully we can get to it eventually. Mm, gotcha. And sort of we also started um, to sort of talk more about architecture and what we build currently and how, I don't know, recently we talked about sort of when we split up the monolith in certain bigger chunks that should be completely separate. Sort of we started out and have complete uh, separate tables. They're still in the same database because that just easiest but yeah um, we recently spent half an hour discussing how to distinguish in a sort of foreign keys within your set of tables and external ids and how table col column names should sort of signify what this is supposed to look like right and now we ended mm -hmm. up with saying hey this is an external id so the column starts with ext underscore and then ah, do you consider also those decisions to be architectural decisions? I mean, this was very much really just something that this team does, right? Sort of, I mm -hmm. think this is very, very technical, focused on this team decision. So I, I would not say that. But then broader things like how, for, for example, that with the database, right? We have certain parts where we just use active record as it was intended. Then we have active record with certain things layered on top of it. And then we have something that is almost a re-implementation of ROM with the repository pattern. <laughs> okay. And who knows where it will stop. And it, this is sort of the bigger things to say, hey, we as teams working on this application, we agree that, I don't know, we use only this style of doing it because the other ones we are going to sort of phase out eventually. So we are starting with these bigger things, I would say. I was thinking because, you know, like people usually think that these are such small, like especially naming, stuff like that. It's something that it's small and inconsequential. But I mean, as humans, our world is built around the stories we tell. So 
words are actually quite powerful. Yeah, so maybe maybe it actually makes sense to sort of then also document how we build this part of the application and why we do certain things that because if if we sort of follow through with this way that sort of packwork says, hey, there's a folder and basically there's only limited public API you're allowed to call from other parts of the application or for those to call in, then it might make sense to sort of at least explain our thinking behind why do we do certain things, right? Yeah. And then maybe other teams don't need to make the same mistakes we have made. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this, this, uh, I guess that's the best you can do, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. What did I wanted to ask? Do you have, you said that you are starting to talk about architecture. Is it because you don't have a regular, semi-regular occasion for doing that? And this just gives you, gives you the opportunity? Sort of, I started this because I was not satisfied with the recent new code that was written. <laughs> I, I sort of expect new code uh, to be better than the average that's in the I mean, this is sort of, right, a new folder, you think of a new structure of how to do things and then you implement it and try to make it a better thing. But to me, it didn't seem better. It just seemed different. Yeah. And then I, I sort of, many of those decisions were made before I joined that team and certain team members had left. So, and nothing was documented. So I asked about certain things and no one could remember because it wasn't written down. Sort of, this is also a bit of my focus here to say, hey, and if we have a decision, then we explain why and we have an explicit record of this so that you can go back and say, ah, that's what they imagined this would do. And yes, this still makes sense. So let's stick to it or no circumstances have changed. So it's fine to mm -hmm. do something else because okay. this project is sort of littered with, I am not, not satisfied with how the current situation is. So I... For the new code, I invent something new and then halfway in it gets abandoned and no one knows anymore what the idea was. And then we start over. <laughs> now we have yeah. multiple ways of doing things uh, sort of and over 10 years of in a code base, it just accumulates and yes. you should try to go again, sort of at least have try to fight it a bit. I mean, if it's not us that are most more senior doing that uh who else um we were in the pre-recording uh we were talking exactly about this is like you have to show the way right like you you have to behave in a certain way so that the rest of the of the team of the company gets behind you and showing that sometimes it's enough just care and then do those things is it will bring other people to to do the same. Yeah, and I mean, some someone has to do it, right? And yes, you can't always uh, sort of expect someone. I don't know. We do have someone who's uh, by title the architect, but then this is sort of probably lower level than what he does all day. Sort of, it's sort of in the middle between just everyday work and sort of the grand scheme of things. Sort of, and someone needs to fill that gap, I guess. Yes. Speaking of expectations, someone has to do it. It's like someone has to start. So good call. Good call. Yeah, any, let's see. I mean, any, exactly. Any expectations from your side when you think it's going to be, it's going to pick up? I don't know. I think I, I just need to pick up one of the stories there and sort of start doing it. I think that's, mm. that's sort of the only thing we can do, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what's that's next. What's next? How to test stuff, maybe? Oh, yes. Yes. Speaking of architectural decision, just my last comment. So I've been trying to find a way for me and the other two engineers in the team to have a moment where we, uh, you know, like we get together and do talk about what I call the meta work. So um, that's where we came to some decisions around like, how do we want to handle pull requests and all that kind of stuff. That's where my question about the, you know, if you had a moment in which you were talking specifically about those things or not was coming from. I was curious to know what was going on in your company. Yeah, I think this, this is now too many people and too many projects, right? Yeah. So there's multiple applications um, sort of inside of the team. Yes, we do talk about that stuff. But sort of when it comes to cross teams to align how stuff is being done, mm. then there's no one taking the lead, right? And then yeah, I guess someone needs to and then it's going to happen and everyone will be happy. Yes, the magical everyone will be happy. And in one of those sessions, we have had only two so far, but both of them were quite interesting. Like it takes a little bit of time to for the conversation to pick up, but then I start to see that people are interested and involved. So I'm happy about it. In one of those conversations, we had this, I was getting signals from non-engineering people that they were expecting for us to catch issues a little bit earlier or to make sure that certain things were were working. One example was like, so speaking of an early seed startup, what we are doing right now, we are we have a web application where we insert some kind of content. You can imagine it as if it was, I don't know, an article, a news article or something like this. And the content, though, because we don't know yet exactly how the structure is supposed to be, is basically a link to a Notion file, uh, to, to a Notion page. And at first it was like, okay, you tap on the article that you're interested in and you get redirected to the web version of Notion so that you could see the content. But then we decided to make it look more organic. So we are using this tool that is called Notion iframe to guess what, embed an iframe into your uh, web application where you can display Notion pages as if they were organic. And the iframe is going to inherit the um, uh, also the styling of your of your website. And we had to connect multiple of these pages between themselves. And therefore, there is a link that you can publish pages from Notion so they are accessible on the web and you can link them exactly as if you were doing anything else in, uh, you know, like in uh, WWW uh, world. That's very, very millennial, early millennial of me <laughs> to say. It's almost Gen X. Okay. Um, <laughs> so now that was working when we had access directly to the Notion pages on web. But guess what? It wasn't working anymore when we started using this iframe because the application that generates the iframe, uh, the service that we found online, is overriding all the artic- all the links that are Notion links with their own format. So as soon as you were clicking on a link that would send you to another article of ours, you weren't able to see it because there was it was erroring. 
And when we said, okay, we're going to embed the iframes, my expectation from my perspective was, okay, if people tell me it's done, then I have exactly the same experience as I'm having before. So I went to this article, I clicked on the link and the link was broken. And that's the moment where I realized that we needed to rediscuss a few things as a team. It's a matter of expectations and those expectations are <laughs> it's also um, the classical um re-implement as it was before problem right exactly <laughs> exactly so there is no way for you know like my the the engineers i was working with before they were the android engineers were so frustrated when i was telling them i was like just do that that as if it was as it's on ios and they were like what the fuck? <laughs> so I don't say that anymore. <laughs> but it goes back to the same problem as you just described. Like you have to describe what you are expecting the application to behave like. Yeah. What is the experience that a user should have? And if it doesn't match, then it's not done. You might have coded it, but it's not done. So you have to look at your changes in the context of uh, the bigger context of the uh, of the user experience. So there is, on one side, expectations to manage when it comes to talking to design or product. It's like, it's never going to be as it is in Figma. Forget about it. Like, we're going to try to do it as close as possible, but it's never going to be the same. Because guess what? It's an early seed startup. We're pre-market fit. We are still have to prove that our product is anything meaningful. Therefore, worrying about margins, pixels, shades of colors, it's not our biggest challenge right now. But it's also a matter of expectations towards the engineers about what does it mean that this is done? Mm. When is your work done? And I have the feeling that testing is perceived as something that, you know, like someone else is going to do. N not not in a ill, in, with, an, with ill intent, but it's just like I'm testing from here to there. Someone else is going to find out if something is broken, right? So I wanted to reset a little bit the, the expectations there. But I started looking at, you know, like the first thing that we need to align on is how the I, I want to do a behavioral kind of testing. It's like, because what's important is that the functionality works from, from the user perspective. And then I started looking at the literature that it's online and there is, man, fucking nothing. Like everything is about, you know, like test I, I discovered that there's a difference between test scenarios test cases and test suites and whatnot so there's a ton of literature out there but it's all very high maintenance frankly and mm -hmm. we can't afford that we cannot afford it because it's going to be too expensive to write it's going to be too expensive to run it's going to be it's going to slow us down too much so i was like okay what am i supposed to be doing and then i thought okay we need to have something that doesn't doesn't hold us back. So it's lightweighted. Everybody can run. And that involves the whole team because quality is not something that, yes, it falls mostly usually under the umbrella of uh, engineering. But engineering is the, run, the one, in my opinion, that runs the shows, the show, but it's not the one that is in every part of the show. So... There's multiple people participating there. It's also nice to get an outside perspective on these things, right? 
because sometimes in engineering you're sort of stuck to the one path of how stuff is supposed to work and not necessarily on how it's actually being used. Exactly. With that in mind, I went to one of my usual Slack uh, resource uh, management community, engineering management community, and I asked if anyone had experience about that. And I came across this company, I'll, I'll share the link, that they do exactly this. Like they help startups build, ramp up and build testing culture, basically. Mm-hmm. And the CEO of this company, she was, I think she's the CEO. She was so nice and she spent one hour with me hearing my ramblings about what I was thinking and what do we need and whatnot. It was a hilarious conversation, but the outcome of this was that I had clearer in my mind what I wanted to do. So she told me that, yes, behavioral makes perfect sense. What she suggested was also exploratory testing that should be done by someone else. Not necessarily the people that are always coding the the product. And she suggested not to, you know, like share this testing strategy as if it was, you know, like from now on, we're going to do this. But she was like, you know, it's a bit like feeding your kid broccoli. They don't like broccolis. Okay, let's puree the broccoli and make them disappear in mashed potatoes. (laughs) And it's not broccoli anymore. So her suggestion was like, try to make this something that people feel like they it it brings them value and they have to do. So hopefully that's going to help. So what I'm doing right now is I spent some time. I didn't follow exactly her suggestion, but I spent some time writing down why it's important for us to test, because I think it's important also to educate or at least to, you know, like be on the same page, speaking of expectations about what we want to achieve. My main point there is that we need good specs, because if we don't have good specs, there's no way we can actually implement and then test the way they are supposed to be done. Because... We don't know how they are supposed to be done. So that early phase is that that gathering requirements is incredibly important to get to the final result. Yeah. And what I've also noticed is a marked difference in startups I've worked for where there was a technical founder Mm -hmm. and where there was no technical founder. I think it is so important in the beginning to at least spend some time on having, I mean, tests, having a certain degree of good architecture because yeah you will never you will have have a really really hard time making it up yes my point is that we don't have the time right now to and it's also pointless to cover everything with automated tests because what we are building it's literally shifting months to months so i mean two months ago three months ago we were thinking about a completely different product so if we were if we were testing everything we would have spent double the time being wrong. So mm-hmm. th- that's probably the biggest learning I'm getting from from joining this startup. It was like, you can be very wrong, but you can, you know, like not invest too much into being that wrong, right? So what we would like to do, and this was an agreement in one of those sessions I was talking about, is that we know that there are some parts of the system that are either shared, so they touch, it touches multiple places, 
or it's somewhat core to the product. It's like, this is a very important flow for this version of our product. Or it's something that it's not going to change that often because we have brought this module from project to project since last year, let's say. Mm -hmm. So for example, in this case, it's our authentication module. We are pretty confident that that is not going to change anytime soon. That makes sense to test automatically. Everything else is going to be tested manually at different stages, but really thinking about the behavior and the minimal critical path, the minimal uh, happy path to get to a success or an expected failure. For example, if I create something that is wrong, I should not be able to create it. Like if it creates it, eh, not ideal. But and, and frankly, even that this example is a bad example because if it creates it but it doesn't show and I can delete it, eh, who cares? So um, that's basically the idea. So on one side, for new fe new features, we're gonna mostly spec things with scenarios upfront that are based on trade offs that we discuss over the Figma files or, um, you know, like meetings or conversations, whatever. The Figma files where the design is and that show the flow and how it's supposed to behave and the testing scenario because someone has to write those scenarios and say, yeah, that's good to go. That's how I expect the thing to behave. Let's go for it. Mm -hmm. And then we will have some automated tests that we will if we identify something that it's a new feature, that it's important, then we might want to have some automated tests there. For old features, the agreement is that whenever we touch something that we deem important, then we start writing tests for those. We won't be doing an effort of building everything, uh, the whole test suit from, from scratch. It doesn't make sense. But then what's also important is the exploratory tests. Uh, and for those, my plan is to puree the broccolis with the potatoes. And um, <laughs> as soon as we have something out, uh, I will uh, suggest uh, that I will do some tests and who wants to join me. And then let's see how important that quality is to the rest of the team. Yeah. One thing that, that this lady was suggesting was also to pair. So wherever possible, get someone to pair with you when you're writing a scenario or when you are actually running a test so that they see what you do and vice versa, you can see what they do. Mm -hmm. And that will give you a lot of learnings when it comes to the process itself, but also to the product and how the product can be exploited in ways you wouldn't expect. But that's the story of how I came up with a testing strategy for this, uh, for this team. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's also the thing, right? You have to start yeah. getting a habit into the team of documenting things. At least, yes, I mean, it's a startup, so you want to not overdo all these things. Like, I mean, I must admit, I've never worked in such an early stage startup that I didn't write tests for stuff. Um, but yeah, not doing it at all. I'm, I mean, personally, I would feel slower probably if I didn't write any tests. <laughs> I agree. I tend to agree, but I think it's also a matter of habit in the sense of we're so used to write tests that that's the first thing I would do, right? Like, yeah, I'm so used to do that, that I would never think of not writing a test. But we have never been in a position where from one day to the other, you have to throw away a bunch of stuff that frequently. Mm, and then true. I'm wondering, you know, maybe if we were in that situation, maybe we would have 
would start behaving differently. Although, I mean, on my side project, almost all of my JavaScript is untested. <laughs> so maybe it's not true <laughs> so that I haven't done that. So you are not that, that sure. <laughs> yeah. Only when, when I know that there's someone else looking at my code, then I will write tests. Yeah. Last thing about this is that what I what I'm experiencing right now is that there is most of the literature that it's out there about, you know, like processes or strategies or techniques. It's oriented to companies that are already past the startup stage, like the early startup stage. Mm -hmm. So when you go into these into these projects, um, you are really on your own. Like there, there's nothing out there that can help you. Because no one has the time to spend and write those things when they're in a startup, right? <laughs> I think so. And I think that the focus is so much on the product that there's no real interest, even from engineering leaders, dedicate, the, I mean, engineering leaders at that, at that stage to share what they're going through. Like I've been following a couple of podcasts that are supposed to be talking about, you know, like early startups from an engineering standpoint. And it's very, very high level what you get there. You don't get, it's like, oh, I solved this organizational problem this or that way. It's either about the code mm -hmm. or about the product. And I find it interesting so far in the sense of like Spock interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I also raise my brow for those that can't see me. Yeah, I sadly can't do that. You can't raise your brows? I mean, not only one, right? I can only okay. raise both, both of them. That would be, I, I don't, I would, I would <laughs> yeah, remember not, that. <laughs> not, I haven't used Botox yet. No, I can still raise my brows. <laughs> <laughs> don't use Botox. Um, I mean, do whatever you want. I think um, it has so, actually um, implications for mental health, weren't there studies? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, we got yeah. sidetracked. So if you guys are interested, <laughs> I can also share my document. And I would actually be interested in receiving feedback if you guys are uh, up for it. I'm using my fantastic favorite application note plan. So I'm done. That's the second topic for today. Yeah, I still have a small one. I'm not sure how much I can talk about, but so I have two kids. Uh, the older one uh, is definitely not that much into computers. She's into drawing. She's crazy good. But my 10-year-old son, he is currently spending a lot of his time watching YouTube videos of people playing Minecraft and stuff like that, which is okay-ish, but maybe he shouldn't watch videos all day. <laughs> yeah. So the idea was maybe he should actually learn to program a bit. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had recently had the two week holiday. So we started there. Um, so MIT has this um, programming tool called Scratch, um, where you can basically do some, uh, you have some blocks like here's a variable, here's an if block and, and stuff like that. And you can sort of put them all together and then you can animate stuff and you can and play that with that. So we did that uh, for, I think, a day or so. And we, we implemented a simple game where we had, what was it? I think we had guinea pigs flying around I, the screen. Yes, and you had I to, played it. <laughs> and you had to sort of catch them and then you got points for it. It's harder than I thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and You're he sort fast. of made, made the sprites himself and, and stuff like that. It's all pixelated and stuff. That's so cool. That fun. Um, but sort of this is also very limiting. Plus it is really having 
sort of GUI blocks that you move around on the screen, it becomes very hard to reason about what's happening. So then we started to, uh, or I started to look into other things and I thought, hey, maybe I'm sure there must be some uh, tools, uh, sort of gaming libraries out there that are easy to use. Sort of uh, the first one I remembered was in Ruby, uh, sort of in the Euroco in Barcelona. Uh, I mm. remembered this presentation. Um, but then I thought, hey, Ruby, maybe not the first language. Maybe let's pick Python. Python is sort of probably after after Excel, the second most <laughs> used programming language these days. So we started to program Python. I'm still not, I don't know. I'm I'm still unsure about the, the approach right now. It's more about there's some tutorials on how to uh, implement simple games and we sort of follow it, but we sort of use our own characters and basically copy-paste code. And I guess this is sort of the level for a beginner 10-year-old to understand. And I don't know, eventually we'll have to branch out and maybe he can try stuff on his own, but I don't know. But I think for now it's more about uh, getting him interested and keeping it, keeping him on the topic. Was he ever frustrated? I mean, we did simple things, so it wasn't we weren't there yet. It was more about me telling him, hey, and now you copy this file or you write this and we weren't there. Uh, but he already hacked his own game. So that was fun. So we have... Oh, that's cool. <laughs> sort of, we, we implemented saving the, the score in a file, uh -huh. just a text file. And then he discovered he can just open the text file and give him... And see it. See it and change it, right? And you can have so cool. millions of points or negative number of points and stuff like that. So magic, <laughs> you know. Because I was asking because I remember this was, folks. I was born in a nineteen eighty one, so that's a long time ago. I was in primary school, and I think I was seven. No, that's a lie. I was six. I think. And they introduced us to Logo. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to send this turtle that didn't look like a turtle around. And it was so frustrating for me because I couldn't understand the direction this thing was going. Mm -hmm. Because like the instructions are from the point of view of the turtle, but yeah. you are seeing the screen. So if you say right... And the turtle is looking down in the screen. It's going to go left. And for my brain back then, it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> There's actually a very cool um, board game that follows that um, idea where basically every player has a robot and they sort of before the round starts, they, I think, in secret um, design the program, right? You move forward, you turn and stuff like that. And then everyone has to execute that program then at the same time and stuff randomly happens and you crash into people and stuff like that it's, it's super fun but yeah sort of we're trying to i'm trying to stay on top of it and maybe we can get somewhere it's it's just sometimes it's hard if you've worked a day a whole day and you're tired and then so he's still going not so much but i think we need to, he he asks all the time right so that's okay. already encouraging um but we need to continue because we you know this game um, in 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 Google Chrome, when there's no internet, where you have this dinosaur yes. that jumps over stuff, so we want to implement something like that. Mm -hmm. So we can all the guinea pig can already jump, right? It, and stuff already moves in the other direction. Now we just need to um, implement getting the points. Space and, bar. Yeah, that works. We know how to use the space bar yeah. and how gravity 
Although you can hit the space bar many times and then you disappear from screen and go up. Okay, that shouldn't <laughs> so that, happen. But there's something we need to look into. Yes, <laughs> um, we're done for today. I think we're done. Yes. Keep us posted about your uh, kids' adventure with programming. What is he going to learn next? Yeah, I mean, the next step obviously has to be something, either a mobile game or something you can have in the browser yes. because he wants to share it with his friends, right? Yes. So that's also the motivation. And now... Let's also hope he's, at some point, he goes into something different than game development because it's a terrible industry. On <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, right now it's just playing around with it and getting started, right? I mean, he's uh, he's early. I... I I started with 16, right? You need to get him to do something fun for him. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's not going to stick. Yeah. And he's just going to become a YouTuber or something. <laughs> Says the old man shaking <laughs> their fist. Oh, no. I mean, he has a YouTube channel and he's posting videos of the guinea pig. So. What? <laughs> and he's doing the videos himself and cutting them on the phone and stuff like that. So that's already happening. <laughs> he is also a video editor. Look at him. <laughs> Bright career ahead of him. Yeah. Yes. Of low paid jobs, <laughs> editing videos for other people. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, gotta start and play around. Yeah. Who knows what's gonna happen in the future? Yeah. If he starts earning money now, he's in for a ride. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. I'm gonna say goodbye by telling everyone another thing I found out is that. Some of the most bright minds of our um, of the Ruby community also don't get past day 12 on Advent of Code. And I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> I mean, day 12 is already pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I hit that once. So. I normally, with I gave up doing these things, but because it always is like day three or four. And then, yeah, I, I mean, day one, two and three are, oh, day one is super easy, but. At day five, six, it starts to get a little bit harder. Mm. <laughs> so that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to know that other people are just humans. Failing too. too. <laughs> yeah. oh, where people can find you, Urban? Uh, so people can find me on this podcast I'm making. If you really want to, you can reach me via LinkedIn or Mastodon. How about you, Monica? So you can definitely reach to me. Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, on Mastodon. The name is always the same, Near Knife. That's where I am these days if we are talking about, air quotes, social networks. Uh, I did activate an account on Blue Sky, but I haven't checked it at all at the moment. I'm going to recheck it soon. Otherwise, my website, monicag.me. And you can email us at hosts at expandingbeyond.it. Maybe someone at some point actually will do that. <laughs> Well, they did in the past. So it's just a matter of being patient. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Was it fun chatting to you, Monica? And until next time. Bye-bye. Until next time. Bye, people.